Would you take your Bibles, please, and let's turn to the book of Hebrews as we continue our study through this wonderful book. We come this morning to what many people call the Great Hall of Faith. Um, that passage there, that chapter there that over and over and over again repeats, by faith, by faith, by faith. This morning we're going to be in the first seven verses, uh, verses one to seven. If you're able and willing, if you, are a, if you are able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> this is the Word of the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God, would you now take your word, meet it with your spirit, and may it be planted deep within our hearts. Have your way with us, we ask. Where we need to be comforted, would you comfort us? Where we need to be encouraged, would you encourage us? Where we need to be strengthened, would you strengthen us? Lord, even if we need to be reproved, would you reprove us? And yes, Lord, even rebuked, would you do so? Work in us this day for the cause of Christ. Mold us and make us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. In my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. We read from our confession and our confession of faith together a few minutes ago. And in another part of our confession, in the shorter catechism, it says that saving or faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel. What wonderful, wonderful reminder to us whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation. Faith, trusting in the Lord. Martin Luther said, Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. He also says this, he said, Justifying faith is a sure trust by which one believes that his sins are remitted for Christ's sake. And they that are justified are to believe certainly that their sins are remitted. Another reformer, John Calvin, said in his institutes, 
Now we shall possess a right definition of faith if we call it a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Faith, it's something we hear about quite often. It's something we speak about quite often. And indeed, faith is fundamental to our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And therefore, it's important that we understand both what it is and what it does. But it's also important, I believe, that we understand what it is not. And I want to start there this morning, just quickly, what it is not. Faith is not the ground of our justification or salvation. Now, for some of us, as we remember, we are saved. We say things like we're saved by our faith. You may notice before if you listen or you read quite a bit or you even pay attention to what I sometimes say from the from the pulpit is that I'll say things like we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And there is a reason why I say it that way. And that's because we are not saved by our faith. We are saved through our faith. It's not the ground of our faith. We don't have faith in faith. We place our faith in something else, in an object. And that object, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the instrument. It's the means by which we receive those gifts. It's the instrument of our salvation. Again, we are saved by grace. We're saved because of God's gracious action toward us. We're saved because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus. We're saved on the basis of His righteousness, imputed to us and then received through faith. But it is Christ in His righteousness which is the ground of our justification. It's that. It is Jesus in whom we trust. Because without Christ, without Christ, the object of our faith, our faith is, it's useless. It would be in vain. It would just be faith in faith. Faith in something. We hear it often. You just got to believe. Believe what? The object is that which is important. We need to understand that faith is the instrument, the means, and not the grounds. And it's important for us to understand that both at the beginning of the Christian walk, as well as throughout our walk with the Lord Jesus. We often think, we even talked about this in distinctives class this morning, we often think of faith of being so important at the beginning, but then we forget the continuing importance of it. But it's the, it is the instrument whereby we receive the benefits of the gospel, but it's also the instrument of the Holy Spirit in our ongoing growth in grace, For after all, the scripture tells us, doesn't it, <clears throat> that the just shall live by faith. We are to live by faith. And our text here, in fact, all of chapter 11 of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is going to give us one after another examples of those who have gone before us clinging to the promises of God. Those who have <clears throat> not shrunk back, but have faith in persevere their souls and preserve their souls. And, and by doing that, by giving all those examples to us, 
he teaches us what it means to live by faith. And so we're going to walk through this this morning. And we're going to do so looking at several things in these first several uh, seven verses. We're going to look first to this description of faith. Then we're going to move into the impact of faith. And then we're going to look at the object of our faith. And then finally, we'll look at the reward of faith. So let's look first and let's start with a description of faith. And in verse 1, we find as close of a def definition as we find in all of the New Testament. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it is a definition, but it's also not a comprehensive definition of faith. And so it, it's, we could almost say it's a, it's a description of faith. It's a kind of a snapshot of what faith looks like. And throughout the New Testament... We find that faith is, is not just a mental ascent. Sometimes we think of it in that way. And certainly it is about a knowledge of truth. Um, there's an ascent to that truth. That's part of it, but it's not all about that. It's, it's one thing to say, I believe. But it's another thing for your life to be governed by that belief. That's the difference there. Jesus says to me, doesn't he? He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, on that day, but he will then say, away from me, for I never knew you. James says, you believe that God is one. You do well, he says. But even the demons believe and they shudder. So it's not just about simple assent. Faith is not just knowing about Jesus. And it's not even only about knowing Jesus. It's also about Jesus knowing us. It's about Jesus knowing me. True saving faith is not just simple assent. We, we can assent to something without ever having been changed. True faith doesn't just involve our mind, but true faith involves all the person, the whole person. We've got the mind, the will, and the emotion. Or we might say it this way, the mind, the will, and the experience. We could put those two things together. There is knowledge. There's an embracing of the truth. And there's an experiential aspect to that as well. There's that personal trust that what we say we believe actually affects the way that we live. True faith involves all of these things. And the author here in Hebrews is saying, look, faith in all of those aspects, mind, will, emotion, in all of those things, it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's, when you think about it, I sometimes think about it in this way, it's like the title to a house, that, that document itself is, is not the house, not the house itself, of course, but it is the guarantee that that house is yours, that it belongs to you. It's your certificate of ownership for that premise. And, and all, all these that the author lists here, if we were just thinking in the physical realm, they didn't receive what was promised if we're just thinking physically. They, they, they look forward. In fact, if we, as we read further along, we're, we're going to see eventually that they don't just look to those earthly promises, but those to which the earthly promises pointed. They were waiting for a heavenly country. They were, they, were, they were looking forward to that which was theirs as their reward. And it wasn't just simply a physical place. It was beyond that. But even so, they had it. It was theirs. 
The promise was theirs. The reality of that was guaranteed. And, and notice what the author says. He says, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. We say, well, by what? Well, by faith. By faith, they received their commendation. It wasn't by their works. It wasn't by their genealogies. It wasn't by some particular family that they were part of. It wasn't because they went to this school or that school or this church or that church. No, it was by their faith. And think about how important this would have been particularly to the original hearers of this letter. Because these Hebrews, and we've learned this over and over again, it's good to remind us, isn't it? These Hebrews, many, many of them were being tempted to turn away from Christ and to go back to that old covenant system, to go back to Judaism. And this is, this is what Hebrews is about. It's an encouragement for them not to turn away from Christ, not to return to that. And remember the theme, all the, Jesus is better. Better than what? Yes, everything. Jesus is superior in all things. And, and not just in that he's better, but that he is the only way of salvation. You can't turn to something else and say, well, Jesus is better to save you than this. No, the author of Hebrews is what he's been teaching us is Jesus is the only one that can save you. He's not just better. He's also the only one. It's as, it's as if the readers, <clears throat> the, the hearers were saying, look, we, we are, we're going to leave this faith and we're going to go back to the faith of our fathers. But what the author of Hebrews is saying here is, this is the faith of your fathers. This is the faith of your fathers. This is what chapter 11 is all about. It's given us a proper understanding of the story of redemption from beginning to end, from old covenant to new covenant. This faith that you somehow think is new, or maybe this faith that you somehow think is plan B or, or a different course of action, it's not at all. This faith that you think you'll turn away from and go back to the faith of Abraham, what he's saying to them is, this is the faith of Abraham. This is the faith of Abraham. This, this is the faith of your father's. Don't turn away. If you turn away from Christ, then you're turning away from the faith of your fathers. You remember that old hymn, uh, Faith of Our Fathers Living Still, in spite of, and it goes on and on and on. And one of my favorite old hymns. But often we think of our fathers as those only from the time of the early apostolic church. But we need to go way back from there. We, we can indeed say as we sang as children, Father Abraham had many sons and I am one of them. This, we're looking back to the faith of Abraham. And the author of Hebrews is saying, if you turn away from Christ, you're not going back to the faith of Abraham. You're actually turning away from it. So don't do that. Don't do that. We persevere like our fathers before us because of the hope that lies ahead of us. Just like them, faith enables us to persevere. But faith also impacts what we believe. And so we'll look at the second thing, the impact of faith. Look with me to verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that by what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Because of faith, we actually have a 
Let me put it this way. Faith enables us to have a proper understanding of other things. Faith doesn't just help us see rightly about the Bible. Faith doesn't just help us see rightly about um, things of the faith or about Jesus or about salvation. Faith actually enables us to see the world rightly. To see it the way it's meant to be understood. Even about the creation of the world. How many of us... How many of us, when we read or we hear others talk, and sometimes we're talking about where things came from, and, and you just don't understand how somebody couldn't believe that God created the world, and instead they would rather believe that it just kind of accidentally evolved into what we see today. Do any of you do, do that sometimes and just go, how do they come to that? They come to that because, because they don't possess faith. They can't understand things rightly. Because of faith, it enables us to understand that God created the world. And even in Ecclesiastes, we're taught that there's nothing really new under the sun. I think sometimes that we, we look out at the world and we go, oh, this is new, or this is new, or this is the new heresy in the church, or is this the new kind of trend in the church? They, they've all been around. They just kind of come and go. They come back repackaged in one way or another. And so we, we hear these types of things and we hear of those. And some of you who are in school, you school age kids, sometimes, particularly if you're not homeschooled, but you're in public schools and you're in science class or this class and you hear these things. And those that argue that matter has always been and that matter ran each other and bang and started the whole process and all that kind of stuff. And we tend to think this is brand new. This is relatively new in the history of this world. But really the Greeks, the Greeks were teaching way back then that matter was eternal, that matter wasn't created. They had this, they had this understanding that, that matter had always been, and so something could come from something, that, and that the earth wasn't created ex nihilo. But the author's saying here, he's saying, look, you, you can understand, you're enabled to understand because of faith. By faith, you understand these things, and apart from faith, you can't, your worldview's mixed up. Your worldview's mixed up. And really, as we read this, it's, if, if you have a problem believing in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you're also going to have a problem believing anything else the scripture says or teaches. If that's hard for you, everything else is going to be hard. Because it starts with faith. It starts with trusting the word of God. And that's, it's interesting, isn't it, that that is exactly where the author starts. He goes all the way back to creation. All the way back to creation. Faith keeps you from looking at the world through secular eyes. Faith keeps you from looking at the world like a pagan and it enables you to see it as you're supposed to see it, as it truly is. It gives you, ironically enough, eyes to see that which the eyes of man cannot see. That's what faith does. So faith impacts our view of the world, not just creation, but also how we see it today. But not only does it impact our view of the world, but it also impacts our worship. 
as believers in the Lord Jesus. Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Notice, we could, we could take several things to note here. First, when we come to worship, when we come into this place to worship the Lord, it's only accepted by faith. That is to say that our worship, though it may be wonderful in the eyes of man, in fact, it just may be the best worship experience. Apart from faith, it's useless. I don't know about you, but as we sang some of those songs this morning, I felt like I was lifted up into the heavenlies. It was beautiful. Wonderful. But apart from faith, it's just music. Apart from faith, it may as well be Johnny Cash. Not really. He's pretty good. <laughs> but you get, you get my point. Apart from faith, what are we doing? We're not coming into the presence of the Lord apart from faith. In fact, our experience could be the best it could ever be. But apart from faith, it's useless and it's unacceptable before the Lord. For apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and that, that's what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice. That it wasn't wed with faith. I think sometimes we go, oh, well, Cain did this, Cain did that, this is what. No, the reason, Cain had a job to do, Abel had a job to do. And they did them. One worked the ground and one was in animal husbandry. And they did them. Then they were faithful to them, um, supposedly. Or we might think. But it was in the offering. How did they give them? Was Cain's not accepted because it was just from the ground and, and not from his herd? No. Because it wasn't wed with faith. And, and, and we know that too because the same thing could be said on Abel's side of it. Abel's off, what made, um, it wasn't that Abel's offering was so good that, that his offering is that which made him righteous. That's not what the author says. It was through his actions that he was commended as righteous. That is to say, his actions proved his faith. And I wonder too, when we think about worship, when we think about faith, and when you, when you enter into this place on a Sunday morning, do you come believing that you're going to meet the Lord here? You come believing that the Lord meets you here? As God calls us into his presence, that you're in his presence and he with you, and that what you do here actually matters. That you're being equipped, that you're being um, sanctified, that you're being edified, that you're being nurtured and nourished in the word of God. I'm going to ask you the same thing in a few minutes when we come to the Lord's table. Do you come by faith believing that that Jesus meets you here and feeds you by faith. If you don't believe that, let me just, let me just say it. Not because, I, not because I'm being mean, but because I love you enough to say it. If you don't believe that, don't come to the Lord's table. Don't come. Ask the Lord to convince you to give you that faith to believe. So that as you come to the table, it's wed with faith. And, and then he says of Abel, he says, 
though he died, he still speaks. Now that's quite a strange thing to say. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is not because, um, not necessarily because there, is, there aren't other things about Abel's death, crying a better word, or that Jesus' death, crying a better word than Abel's and so forth. And that, we, we see that as well. But the reason why I say it's a strange thing is because all these other people died too. So why is the author here, particularly, talking about Abel's death because all the other ones died also? What is it about Abel's death that made the author mention it? Um, and why did, why did the author, or yeah, why did he mention Abel anyway? Well, I, I think there's several things that we see here. You, you know, th there's damage that can be done when people say in false encouragement. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's well-meaning. Saying things like, if you, if, you, if you only have faith, then it'll work out okay. If you, if, if you believe enough, it's, it's all going to be fine. In fact, if you believe enough, you might just get what you want. Because after all, as Christians, we're all about what we want and our own desires. Well, that's why we struggle with that, because often we are about that. But more to the truth, what we learn here by what the author says is if you just have faith, you may just get killed because of it. That's what we see here in the text, isn't it? Here's a man, Abel, who was faithful. And his faith didn't result in earthly gain. But he died. In fact, he was murdered by his brother. But that's the author's, part of the author's point is be able still receive the reward, but it's not an earthly reward to which he looked. It was the promises of God. And he received them. And, and the author's saying, I'm even going to use Abel as a great example of a faithful man and as a testimony to God's favor to those who have faith, even though he was murdered by his brother. Because there are more important things than dying an earthly death. Boy, that's a hard one for us to swallow, isn't it? And so what he gives us here is an example of what some of God's people are called to endure in this life. And you can endure it because of faith. You can persevere by faith. The assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. We, we may look around and Things that we see may, may seem just completely horrible. Maybe, maybe death is surrounding you. Sickness surrounds you. Marriages may be falling apart. Relationships are broken. Kids are rebelling. But you can persevere. The assurance of things hoped for. Where are your eyes? The eyes on, are your eyes on the things of this world or your eyes on the promises of God? There are some who in the midst of struggle and strife, while they're in the midst of that, you surely know it because they want, they want you to know it. And some, you can even tell by their attitudes, by their own rebellion, by their own anger, and even bitterness against the Lord and against others. There are others who find themselves in very similar circumstances and situations, and yet they don't respond that way. In fact, it seems that maybe they respond just the opposite. And we say, what's the difference? 
There's bitterness here. There's joy here. Same circumstances. The difference is our perspective and faith. One looking only at the present and the other looking toward that blessed hope. What are you looking toward? What am I looking toward? What brings us joy? What brings us life? The things of the world or that which is to come. Some, some even still live in a bitter past, painful past, unwilling to let go. And maybe it's time you confess that and repent of it. Hope and trust in the living God who keeps your inheritance for you. So there is here, in the midst of this, even a call, an appropriate call to faith, to believe. And it's not simply a faith in faith. There is an object to our faith. There's a proper object to our faith. Look at verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Enoch being... uh, 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 Let me read that last part. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So Enoch here... Enoch having, or or being taken up to heaven before he died was testimony to the fact. Testimony to the fact that God was pleased with him while he he still walked this earth. Why? Was it because um, Enoch was righteous in and of himself? Was it because Enoch was somehow better than Abel? Because Abel, he died, Enoch Got to go on right up there. Was it because Enoch was more righteous than Abel? No, they're both seen as being men of faith. Both of these. We, we have this example of a faithful one who was killed by his brother. And now we have the example of a faithful one who walked right up into heaven, as it were. Both are testimonies to faith in God. And both are testimonies to God's faithfulness to deliver on his promises. So whether earthly they live or die, those who have faith in the Lord receive his promises. And and why was Enoch in such communion with God? By faith. By faith he believed. And again, notice verse 6, I mentioned it just a moment ago. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How many times do we hear? And how many times are we sometimes even tempted to do it ourselves? We might hear somebody say, you just got to believe. Kind of mentioned this a minute ago. You just got to believe. If you believe it, then then it's going to happen. In so many sporting events, that's often the team's motto. Uh, sometimes, you, you know, football players wear those little short shirts under their shoulder pads and they put a motto across the front of it so they can remember what it is they're supposed to remember. And a lot of times it just says, believe. Believe what? And does that make you a better ball player? I'm not sure that it does. 
But that's, that's what we're taught to do. And sometimes even like, and I've been into locker rooms before where, you know, above the, above the doors, you enter into the court or onto the field and up above there'll be a sign and it says, believe. And all the guys run out and they jump up and hit the sign out as if hitting the sign that says believe is going to make you a better ball player. It doesn't, but that's what we think. And sometimes we apply that to the Christian life too, don't we? Just believe. And then all things will be okay. I remember as a kid thinking that if I could imagine something in my own mind and I could play it in there, then I could actually do it. Any of you ever did that when you were a kid? Because after all, you do it too? Thank you. Because if you can imagine it, right, then you see your body doing it and then you can accomplish it. So I tried lots of things. I tried flying. It did not work did not work. But there are lots of things that I tried. Thankfully, God preserved me and I wasn't killed or injured. And, and interestingly, as an older man, I still, I've got to admit, sometimes I'm still tempted to think that I can do some of those things. Even things that I used to be able to do, but quickly learn that that type of faith is not rooted in a very firm object. I remember one of the last times that I... Um, had a foot race with my boys. And um, I, I knew how to run. In fact, at one point in my life, I was, I was fast. That's, and that's, um, I'm, that's not bragging, that's just factual. But that was a long time ago. So I could still imagine it in my mind, running like I used to be able to run. The way your body works, the way your legs move, the way your arms are supposed to move. The way that when you run, you're so smooth that your eyes don't bounce up and down like this. So I thought, I can still race my kids. I got it. Not a problem. We stepped up on your mark, get set, go. And it was only a few yards when I realized that my mind was going way faster than my body. And, you know, I've watched videos before of those old people who are trying to run and they fall down. I go, how in the world do they fall down just trying to run? I get it now. <laughs> your mind can go a lot faster than your body sometimes. True faith is not just faith in faith. Faith has an object. And the only proper object of our faith is the Lord Jesus. He says here, he says, forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You must believe in God. You must believe that he is. And the author is not saying, hey, take a leap of faith into the unknown. He is saying, have faith. And particularly here in Hebrews, have faith. In the Lord Jesus, your great high priest. That's where you put your trust. Put your faith in him. You, you, you've heard me on several occasions that, um, <clears throat> say that, like, that calling people to faith is great. But if we're just saying to them, have faith, a proper response is this. In what? We don't just throw out faith as if just believe what we ought to be doing is throwing, and, and not to be flippant at all, but to be throwing out Jesus so that they have something to put their faith in. So they have someone to put their faith in.
As I've said before, it's almost like we're yelling at somebody who's fallen overboard from a ship who can't swim. And what do we do? We yell at them, it's okay, just swim. I don't know how to swim. Well, just do it, just swim. You don't need to yell, just swim. What you need to do is turn around and grab the life buoy and throw it in for them so they can grab onto it. When we call people to faith, give them Jesus, the one in whom they place their faith. Jesus is that, again, not to be flippant, but he is that life buoy, the one who's lived and died and rose again, the one in whom there's forgiveness of sin, the one in whom there is life and life eternal. What they need, what we need, is Jesus. And here, we, we have a record, we have a history, we have a testimony, not only of faithful men laid out before us, but of our faithful God. Our faithful God. We have every reason to put, to put our trust in Him. We, we put our trust in the Lord and in His promises, and He's worthy of that trust. You, you've seen the bumper sticker, haven't you? Probably. God says it. That believe, or God says it. I believe it. That settles it. I want one that says that, you know, that's backwards so that when they look in the rearview mirror, it would say to them, um, it doesn't matter what you believe. God said it. That settles it. Your belief doesn't determine whether it's true or not. My belief doesn't determine whether something's true or not. God's word determines whether something's true or not. See, our faith isn't a blind faith. It's a faith rooted in the most trustworthy object or person there has ever been. And there is a reward. There's a reward for those who have faith. And the author has hinted at it already. And then verse 7, the, the example of Noah makes that clear so, so quickly. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Our faith, it, it has both present as well as future implications. And think about it for Noah. Here's Noah ridiculed, mocked, made fun of. He's building this ark because a flood is coming. Well, God had never sent a flood before. But, so, um, so imagine what people are saying to him. Noah, are you sure about this? You really want to do this? Because you're building this really big boat to escape from a flood? That'd make a lot of sense, Noah, come on. Can you imagine the temptation to want to please man rather than pleasing God. But his eyes weren't on man. His eyes were on the Lord. His eyes were on the, on the promises and the warnings of God. And, and Noah's actions proved his, proved his faith. And through that, the world was condemned. But Noah, what happened with Noah? He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say that Noah was righteous because he did this. It says Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes not because he built an ark, but by faith. Here's the reward. Not condemnation, but life. 
not condemnation, but, but reward. And again, both present as well as future aspect. Whose righteousness is it? It's the Lord Jesus's. It's not his own. I can't help but to think what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3. And by the way, notice the, notice the, the, the correlation between Philippians 3, as I'm going to read in a moment, and, and Hebrews chapter 11 here, speaking of this. But Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. And I wonder for you if I read that, if you do the same thing that I do. And that, and that is, oh, that I would long for Christ and his righteousness as much as I long sometimes for other things. Where's my heart? Where's your heart? Where are my eyes? Where are your eyes? What do you long for? What do you take joy in? The things of the world? Or is your heart, oh, give me Christ and his righteousness. Oh, that that would be my heart. That that would be my desire. Because after all, that is the reward. Christ and his righteousness. And and there is that already and not yet here as well, that present as well as future, that righteousness that's not our own, that, that belongs to us now in Christ Jesus, received by faith, which we stand accepted before God. Luther calls that that alien righteousness. It's not our own. It belongs to somebody else. The world condemned, but those with Noah, as Noah, by faith, Saved by the judgment of God. Again, faith is not just simply a faith in faith. It's a faith in Christ Jesus. It's resting on the promises of God. And there is, there is great reward. Are you resting on the promises of God? Are you trusting in the promises of God? I mean, we've sang about it, haven't we? Standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Are you standing on the promises of God? Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we thank you for your promises and we thank you that you can be trusted, that you have never failed. We give you thanks and we give you praise for that. Lord, would you strengthen us that we might indeed respond in faith, that we might trust, that we might have assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.